Have you ever seen some idiot out there at the crag free soloing and thought to yourself, just what on Bob's green earth does he think he's doing? Well, this here moron is on the microphone to tell you exactly what he thinks he's doing. So throw your rope in the closet where it belongs and grab a chalk bag for your sweaty, sweaty palms. Because the process is about to begin. Hey everybody and welcome back to the show. Given that it's currently winter time and, well, I might be crazy, but I'm not stupid. I'm not going out there to freeze my fingers off right now. No way, not me. This is training season, so I'm just going to hide in the gym and gnar up with my lattice training program to make sure I get those good gains for the spring. Oh yeah. So, what am I doing? Um, not much. I mean, I'm doing my job, keeping work going, and I'm training, and I uh, turned off my old blog, Dreaming of Gnar, but I saved all the posts, and even though I don't have anything going on new in my climbing career, I've got 12 years worth of history. So today, we're going to reach back in the Wayback Machine and pull out that time that I kind of, sort of... Free solo to vertical mile in 10 hours. That'll be a fun one to describe. Like, uh, what kind of idiocy would go into thinking up a plan like that? I mean, a plan like that, you'd think, this guy must about, he must have so much sense that you could just ball it all up in a little pebble and you, you go stick it on the shelf and it looks about as big as a BB in a boxcar. That's not much sense at all. But is it senseless? Or was it deliberate preparation? Or was it a little bit of both? I don't know, but we're about to find out. So uh, tune in with me and let's listen to find out if I'm crazy or not, because I'm dying to know. all the way back to the beginning, as all good stories do. 
You know, when I was some 20-year-old idiot discovering climbing for the first time, I knew in my heart that soloing was something I'd never, ever be able to do. It just seemed like the kind of thing reserved for superhuman entities who uh, their abilities were just far beyond anything to which I could possibly aspire. It would have been like watching a cartoon of Superman and thinking I'd be able to grow up to fly and bullets would bounce off my chest. That's how absolutely preposterous it seemed that I would ever do such a thing. Maybe that's why it was so captivating to me. I mean, who doesn't like watching Superman defeat the forces of evil, right? But uh I lacked the required narcissism to believe that I'm special enough to uh, grow up to have bullets bouncing off my chest. <laughs> um, rather, I think this is living proof that we all have more in us than we're even capable of believing. And unless you're a narcissist, at least, in, in which case you'll pretty much believe anything about yourself. Um, but for the rest of us, turns out that we're... Uh, you know, grit and stick to itness are more important than natural talent. If you dig in 4% deeper, try 4% harder, think 4% more, and dedicate 4% more of your faculties every day towards the activities which inspire you more than the next guy, well, compound interest over decades is a hell of a thing. Don't believe me? <laughs> Go max out your credit cards and stop paying for a year. You'll learn that lesson pretty fast. I'd like to thank Radio Shack for that one. A uh, $200 balance ballooned up to almost 400 back when I was a kid and couldn't afford it. Turns out that debt was capable of more than I'd ever believed. <laughs> El Cap. The Big Stone. The Chief. It was the benchmark against which my every effort was measured back then. I mean, how can you hear about a 3,000-foot vertical cliff wall and not think it was rad? I mean, what could possibly be more rad than that? Doing it in a single day, obviously. And that's precisely what Jim Bridwell did with the Johns, Backer, and Long. Immediately, this became the benchmark against which their efforts were measured. If you were in the valley and you couldn't cram out 3,000 feet in a day, then you were falling behind. With the big stone too cold in the wintertime, how could you benchmark fitness once everyone had fled to Joshua Tree to warm up? There's nothing in Joshua Tree over, what, maybe two or 300 feet? John Long was one of the first to solo at Joshua Tree, and he quickly convinced John Backer to give it a try. John Backer took it and ran with it, in an almost literal fashion. He took the notion to half-dome days, consisting of running laps on different climbs to equate 2,200 feet of vertical, to simulate the effort of a single-day ascent of half-dome. Just like the actual route, you weren't allowed to repeat any of the pitches twice. Next, he took to climbing El Cap days. Then later, Mike Reardon expanded this to mile days and two-mile days. 10,000 vertical feet in a single day. All completed free and solo. What a ride. 
Sounds superhuman, doesn't it? Mike Reardon's mile days included routes up to 513A, packed with a slew of 512s. Back then, I didn't think I had a fart's chance in a windstorm of climbing 513. To hear that someone had soloed 513? Mind-blowing. Still, me and my buddies at the gym, we'd try to climb Half Dome and El Cap days on our plastic paradise to try and emulate the notion. But, you know, we never do quite know what's coming around the corner. Texas Crude 510B was my first deliberate free solo, though I reckon I probably did a few by accident while learning to place gear in the years prior. It felt ten times more casual than expected, so the next weekend I returned and did 32 of my favorite routes at Enchanted Rock, over the space of just two days. The total footage was about 2,200. That's par for the course for the average two-day ascent for most parties on Half Dome. That felt pretty cool. So, straight out the gate, I had a craving for mileage, and it took me to a lot of places. My first Half Dome day, single day, of 2,200 feet was at Waco Tanks, I'd on-site soloed Sea of Holes to honor the style of the first ascent. I like climbing crags like a history book, and paying homage to the moments of inspirational boldness which came before us. A failed attempt at glory would scar me much less than never having had tried. Looking back, it's usually the things we didn't do that bring the most regret, rather than the mistakes born from what we actually did do. And so, while I lack the hubris to think that I would measure up to someone like John Backer or John Gill or Mike Reardon, when I see these roots that they put up and the styles that they put them up in, I have a lot of respect for that. It requires a lot of self-knowledge and self-control to be able to do those things on the regular without winding up in a bad way. And so that's um, that's something I like to benchmark myself against. Even if I can't do it, that tells me a good deal. Because not doing it isn't always sketchy. Not doing it just means making a particular kind of decision. And ultimately, that's what I'm looking for, is to to benchmark my mental calculation rather than have some kind of pissing contest to see if I can measure up to climbers that are better than me. No. What I want to see is if I can go to this thing which has an emotional pull on me. You know, when you have an emotional wanting, that can lead you in a bad way. Because the emotions don't want to let it go, even when your brain says you should. So if I can walk up to something which has that clear and present risk, and then choose to engage in it responsibly, and come away feeling either, you know, I did that, and it was a good decision. It was calculated. I didn't just get away with it. Or alternatively, to try the thing and then bail climb back down and say this wasn't for me that too is a good notion 
walking up to it and just never trying. Hmm. I'd always wonder if I could have. So it's it's there for two reasons. One, mental practice, checking myself before I wreck myself, and two, hey, you only get one shot on this dust ball. When you look back and read your own story, you're going to want it to be a good one. Just make sure to write some good chapters. <laughs> yeah, that's all I'm doing. Writing good chapters. My first time visiting Shortoff Mountain was inspirational and eye-opening. My first thought upon entering Linville Gorge was, my god, I'm gonna do bad things here. <laughs> the place is an absolute playground of almost entirely in-cut and secure climbing. With walls ranging from three to five hundred feet, there was plenty of room for mega mojo mileage days. One of my first soloing excursions there ran up to a leisurely 1,200 feet, with on-sites up to 510. So I set my sights on doing an El Cap day. Given that that was enough for John Backer in the 70s, I figured that ought to be more than enough for me too. It was hard for me to believe, given that I'm certainly no John Backer. You know, it was hard for me to believe that I could do something like that. But, given that I'd performed a half-dome day, an El Cap day was the next logical step. I prepared properly for a uh, regularly scheduled inspection run by making sure I'd drank entirely too much beforehand, waking up three hours later than intended with a pounding headache and sluggish body I didn't help my chances by arriving in the parking lot at noon and the crag by one. Still, I did my best to run around like a squirrel on, I don't know, a squirrel on something that makes you move slower than shit. <laughs> so I ran around like that hungover squirrel um, until the afternoon rains came in. After about 2,000 feet of soloing, I saw the clouds and heard the thunder. And I was jonesing for my fix, so I wanted... I wanted to get one more lap to secure my half-dome distance. Luckily, there was a 500-foot 5.6 left in the bag that I hadn't yet touched. I sprinted down the descent gully and arrived at the base of the climb, breathing hard. Cardio is not my strong suit. Running. <laughs> I slipped on my climbing shoes in record time, not bothering with chalk or tying my laces and sprinted up the wall. One pitch. Two pitches. Midway through the third pitch is when it hit me. Not inspiration or an epiphany, mind you, but rather the rain. At first, I didn't think too much of it. A few sprinkles wouldn't impede my motion, but as I realized that half of the climbing another 250 feet, was still ahead of me, I began to panic mildly. Holy shit. 
this could be really bad. The drops started coming down harder than expected, and my raggedy little iPhone wasn't waterproof. That's, that's a major concern right there. Like, I can handle the rain, but that thing, not so much. So, adrenaline momentarily surged as I remembered that I certainly did not have the funds to replace the little bastard. Well, not much I can do about it now. Might as well calm down and enjoy the moisture, which is at least cooling me off from the summer sweat. So I threw the hammer down and sped to the top with haste. Arriving at the bivy cave where my stash was hidden, I whipped out my phone to separate it from the soaked sponge of my jeans. Crisis averted. It still worked. racked up 2,500 feet during a single afternoon on one of my inspection missions, not even aiming for a goal, while hung over like Keith Richards after 1969's Altamont Anarchy. Apparently, an El Cap day wasn't ambitious enough. But what was the next milestone? There isn't much in the way of more massive walls against to measure yourself beyond El Capitan, so... My mind harkened back to the legends of Mike Reardon. The mile day. That was the next prize. But how on earth would I prepare my merely human self for such a task? Luckily, I've got a masochistic streak and a penchant for hard training on par with a montage from Rocky. I ran myself ruthlessly through lead laps in the gym during three-hour sessions in which I'd run three laps on a route to my partner's one. For three hours straight, I'd be slicked with sweat and tired as a dog. Folks didn't know my name. They just called me Crazy Endurance Guy. At Sand Rock, Alabama, I lived up to that name by soloing 50 pitches in only five hours using a stopwatch to make sure I was on target for 10 pitches per hour. Given an average height of 50 feet, that's 2,500. 2,500 feet in 5 hours. Maybe that meant I could do 5,000 in 10. I used this time to practice my hydration and nutrition game by, you know, downing Gatorade and Cliff Blocks. Mind you, this was all before Cliff Bar took a stance against my religion. They, uh... Yeah, they're, uh, mm. not gonna say anything on that. <laughs> so the, the day came and went. I gave it a good shot. At 4,500 feet of climbing, I stalled, ran out of mojo, and ran into muscle cramps in my lats. I slowly inched myself to the top of the 300 foot root dopey duck and threw in the towel, 700 feet short of my goal. Still, I was stoked. There's no shame in walking away from a solo. When the mojo ain't flowing, it ain't flowing, and you gotta pull the plug, or you're gonna fucking die. What a damn fool who ignores his instincts when the chips are on the table and the stakes are high. 
I practically floated the whole way back to my truck, still riding the high energy wave of the day. Life was good. I didn't hit my target, but hey, who could possibly complain after throwing down 4,500 feet of climbing in about 8 or 10 hours? I wasn't going to complain about that. No way. So, I drove hard on the way home so I could sleep in my own bed. Two hours away from the crag, I made my first pit stop. Swinging my legs out of the truck, I almost face-planted on the concrete as they dissolved out from underneath me like jello. I wasn't riding the wave anymore, and it hit me all at once. <laughs> my ass was sore for a week from repeating the descent hike so many times. I'm telling you right now, I felt about as tired as something tired and... Something tired and redneck sounding. Yeah. I didn't have it in me to try again. It was October 9th, 2014. and a little change later. On November 5th of 2016, my feet were stomping up the approach to Shortoff Mountain once again. Only 18 months prior, I'd died in Yosemite, and they threw my carcass in a helicopter on the way to a California ICU. Aid climbing isn't for me, it seems. Too much gear doesn't go well with my delicate constitution. It's sort of a critical thing, mass sort of thing. Like you pile a bunch of uranium together and eventually the particles stop blowing up one way and another. And the next thing you know, I'm in the fucking hospital. So um, I'm trying to keep away from that gear stuff. We'll call it a New Year's resolution. Yeah, New Year's re resolution. Stay as far away from gear as is reasonably possible because it seems to have a conspiracy against me. Gear seems to want me dead. Well, I don't very much like gear either, so we're even. Anyway, I'd fractured five vertebrae, my right shoulder, and my skull. I'd been rendered permanently deaf in my left ear and lost my sense of equilibrium. The docs said I'd never climb again and that I'd have trouble walking. That kind of pissed me off. So I damn near walked out of that hospital before they wrestled me into a wheelchair. When they got me out to the car, I stood up and walked over to it. Bite me. Well, I hadn't climbed it short off in at least a year, maybe two, save for a couple 
practice laps on the previous day to try a pair of 5.11s that I'd wanted to throw in my circuit. Nevertheless, this time, success was a foregone conclusion. Uh, as you've probably already gathered, I'm not exactly known for doing what I'm told. I've got a, a little bit of a rebel streak, and I make my own way. So I fell back to my old familiar vice after Yosemite. Training like a masochist. I poured my all into working hard, and about six weeks prior to the mile day, I'd competed in 36 hours of horseshoe hell with Mark Vabulous. Really, the event is known as 24 Hours of Horseshoe Hell, and that's what most folks with um, ordinary streaks of idiocy aspire to compete, complete. Uh, they also have, uh, for, for folks who are a little bit more reasonable, um, which haven't been afflicted with the uh, moronicisms like we have, they have a uh, warm-up event that's only 12 hours long. Our dumbasses signed up for both of them. 36 hours of punishment. Why the hell would we do this to ourselves? Well, we've, um, we've committed a lot of sins in our lives, so we reckoned the only way to atone from them was either to flog ourselves against the walls of the Church of Rock until our brains and bodies turned to mush, or to slam our dicks in a car door wedged between two Bibles. We chose the Church of Rock. That was Mark's eighth year at hell, and it was my first. Together, we took the Most Pitches Award in both the 12-hour and the 24-hour competitions, becoming the first team ever to secure a double win in one year. We climbed 124 pitches in the 12 for a total of 5,400 feet, and then 14 hours later, we turned around and crammed out 202 pitches in the 24 for a sum total of 8,000 feet in that event. 13,000 feet and some change combined. We'd each done a vertical mile two days in a row. And for me, it was mostly on-site. This was my first time climbing at Horseshoe Canyon Ranch. Early on in the day, we developed muscle cramps. But Mark wasn't hearing it. Climb, you fuck! Deal with it! So I dealt with it. Turns out they'll go away after a while and it's possible to alter your technique to mitigate their effects. Who knew? So despite not having climbed much at short off in the past while, and despite having been broken into a carcass, and despite having the specter of muscle cramps hanging over my head from the last time, I knew that this time I had it in the bag. Because in the intervening time... I'd climbed through cramps. I'd done two separate mile days. I'd demonstrated that my body was fit for the form because those two mile days were back to back. To achieve our speed, we only clipped about one bolt per route. That meant sustaining the soloing mindset for a total of 36 hours, including a 24-hour unbroken span. Mind, body, and spirit, I was ready. I couldn't not return to short off, feeling like that. Never run away from the rain. You get wet anyways. So raise your head to the sky and let it shower.
However, I wasn't alone. John Cabrera joined me in the mojo wagon for the ride up to Short Off. He had his own mojo mission this weekend. We'd execute them concurrently and meet up at the truck at day's end. We rose at 6 a.m., cooked a quick breakfast, and jammed up the trail to Short Off just before sunrise, each of us burdened with little more than a pair of shoes and an 18-liter backpack full of snacks. Being an outlaw is fun, but it's a lot more fun when you've got a band of outlaws. It's two people a band? Eh, work for Jack White. Well, at the top of Short Off Mountain, John shook my hand and kept walking. His goal was to ride the ridge line all the way to the amphitheater, where he had his own mojo mission to deal with. He was going for a half mile. As I unpicked, packed my water, food, and shoes at the top of the wall, my entire body started to quiver. The hike was warming, but now that I'd stopped, I suddenly felt cold. Or was the shaking due to nerves? Perhaps a bit of excitement? It was quite a thing to be suddenly left alone at the top of a 400-foot wall, knowing that I had a vertical mile of climbing ahead of me, all solo. Especially now that I knew exactly what it felt like to be ground down through a mile of climbing. Eight years of dreaming had condensed into this one single moment. Every adventure has this moment where you take the first step, a moment where you commit fully to the doing of it. That moment is the crux. I began the pre-flight ritual of unpacking my headphones and slipping the cord inside my shirt to prevent mid-flight tangles. Lightning struck as my body electrified from head to toe as soon as I hit the play button and my soul came crashing back into my body for the first time since dying in Yosemite. It landed back in my body with sufficient force to stagger me and I drew a deep breath of fresh mountain air through my lungs as Medicine Man by Dorothy pumped through my brain and my body, and I reconnected with my mountain. This is what I was made for. <laughs> it's good to be home again. Hey, you, Medicine Man, set me free and change my ways. Hey, you. Man, give me what I'm hiding for. 
Taking my first step towards the bottom of the cliff felt like peace. The shaking stopped immediately, and any jitters or nerves were replaced with rock-hard resolve. In that precise moment, I finally shook off the psychological shackles of my past injuries and broke free. That first step is one hell of a thing. Sometimes, your mind and body fight your inner nature. Injuries, setbacks, doubt, they can all conspire to hold us back. Wolfgang Gillick once said, The hardest part of training is deciding to begin. The adage goes that an adventure of a thousand miles starts with a a single step. What if I hadn't shaken off those jitters at the top of the mountain? What if I'd given up before that crucial moment where the music started and all my broken bits snapped back into alignment? An object in motion tends to stay in motion, while an object in rest tends to stay at rest. Inertia. Starting indeed is the crux. Andy Samberg put out this hilariously stupid movie called Pop Star. Never stop, never stopping. Some folks will ask how I got here to where I am in my climbing, but that right there is it. Just put one foot forward and never stop, never stopping. That first step is the crux, and from there, all it takes is time. Even if you can't do all the things today, do the things you can. Don't half-ass it. Quarter-ass it if you need to. Eighth-ass it. Any small piece of momentum is still motion. For climbers, in crises, when anxiety rises, like when I'm having them take practice falls on the wall, sometimes you can get in over your head, bite off more than you chew. Now make sure that they know they don't have to do any of this, really. If they get into position and prepare for their practice fall and realize they can't do it because it's just too damn much, rather than lose it and sprint towards the next anchor point or freeze the body and scream, TAKE! I tell them to pause for one moment, breathe, think about it, and then act. Act rather than react. Maybe today you can't do any of the things. So I'll pause, breathe, think about it, and then make the decision that today is a recharge day. Acting instead of reacting. That's forward progress. I can feel good about deliberately choosing a recharge day. Once I've decided to relax... Everything changes. I don't feel guilty like I'm backsliding or what have you. So I felt those anxieties at the top of Short Off Mountain, and I took a step forward. Because the truth was that I didn't have to do any of this. And furthermore, I could back out and stop at any point. Pulling the plug, giving up, or otherwise having a failed attempt at glory would scar me far less than never having tried. So I took that first step. 